0: Wow, 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 wow. This one is so good. I am your host of Meathead Hippie Podcast. Welcome back. And if it's your first time, I'm so glad you're here. I am Emily Schramm, a personal trainer, nutritional therapy practitioner, and serial entrepreneur that just wants to empower you to empower yourself. And I think you can do that multiple ways. We do that through food. We do that through fitness. But really, I think what I've been on and what this podcast has been talking about the last couple months so far in 2019 is how we do that through our own thoughts. And I think for me as an empath, as somebody that's highly sensitive, as someone that's just been through weird things and situations in my life, I just, you know, there's all these feelings and there's this kind of sense of flying in the air and not really knowing what's up and what's down and just being all over the place. And that just kind of comes with how we take other people's feelings on or how we want to grow and how we actually see other people and how we want to take care of them and give, give, give. And I am just so, so obsessed with this podcast. This is with Nikki Eisenhower of Emotional Badass, EmotionalBadass.com. The podcast, it's already a top rated iTunes podcast and hasn't even been on for, I mean, she started this last year. It's just incredible. It's informative, it's powerful, and she is just amazing. And so some of the things we talk about outside of highly sensitive people and the difference between that and being an empath, we talk about how to be grounded, how to value slowing down, how to see your boundaries, seeing yourself as a puzzle piece and knowing what is dysfunctional and what is okay and what's victimizing yourself, but also like what, what you know it's all these questions and I just am in love with it. I like don't really even have words. I just finished recording it and it's so good. and I can't wait for you guys to listen to it. A few things before I jump into it. Just make sure if you listen to the podcast and you love the podcast, especially now that the audio has been greatly improved, please leave a review. It is so helpful for getting to more people for other meathead hippies. Or maybe just more meatheads or maybe just some hippies. Um, it would be so great to have you do that. And then a few events that I have. If you're in Denver, Wednesday, I have an event at Capital One. It's a free event at the Capital One Cafe about money and business. Thursday, Diane Sanfilippo is coming into town, and we have a book signing at Tattered Cover, which I'm so incredibly excited about. I will be tasting some of my teas, so come try some teas. Some element teas will be made, and we will talk about all things high fat. It will be amazing. And then Saturday, I'm going to be speaking at Habit Hackers, which is an event all day with a fellow podcaster or podcast guest, a former podcast guest, James Clear. And we're going to just talk about. For me specifically, I'm going to be talking about cravings and how that affects our ability to stick with habits. And so taking a little bit of a different approach to sticking with something long-term understanding that cravings are your body's signs of telling you something. And it's going to be a really fun talk. I cannot wait. So anyway, that is my events. If you um, are able to be in Denver and you want more information, you can always email us support at emilystrom.com or just go to my website, emilystrom.com slash blog for all updates. You guys are amazing. Thank you for being a listener and get ready to get your mind blown. This is amazing. Welcome Nikki Eisenhower. (laughs) I'm Emily Schramm, the ultimate meathead hippie. Welcome to the show. All right, Nikki Eisenhower, welcome to the show. This is so fun to have a fellow podcaster that you were just killing it, by the way. I think that everyone always asks me, what other podcasts should I listen to? Emotional Badass is the one you need to go subscribe to right
1: now. Uh, thank you. Thank you for having me on. I'm excited to connect with another podcaster and coach too. It's, in Denver. We're, we're a small tribe. I know, in Denver. So we're live and in person where yes. we could touch each other.
0: I know. This is so fun. <laughs> and you were – who was it? It was somebody on my team, uh, Sarah. She was like, you have to interview this person and she's in Denver. And in person is always best, right? Yeah. So – when I was digging through your things, I was like, holy shit. You, Cause it's all about empath, mm-hmm. all about highly sensitive people, all about how to handle the things that we're not so good at handling as those mm-hmm. types of people. So this is perfect. Cause this is, my mom tells me, she named me perfectly because my name's Emily mm-hmm. and I am like the most empathic person (laughs) in a very annoying way. And so um, thank you again for being on the show. We're just going to jump into it. I think knowing the definition of empath for you and kind of finding your path into having this voice to help others that have struggled with those things that you talk about in your podcast and in your programs, how did you yourself kind of find that journey? How did you say, well, one, holy shit, I'm an empath and I'm taking it all in. And two, I have to learn how to be better at this because I'm struggling with X, Y, Z. Was there a, a moment in your life or was it just your own education and your own career that kind of led you to what you're doing today?
1: It's it's everything. I don't want to go all the way back to like, well, when I was born. <laughs> But it it goes back that far. So I I was born into just a lot of chaos. Like I almost died at birth. So they gave me um, kind of the baptism and the last rites being born Catholic. So I learned way like far down in my journey that that really is supposed to open up spirituality and open up awareness. Like, ha, so I can go all the way back to being a really small child and seeing these traits and these Qualities. And and I think I had a lot of confusion about why I saw the world the way that I did, why I felt the world the way that I did. I come from a big, kind of loud, kind of Catholic family with really great qualities, but also really dysfunctional qualities. (laughs) And I think I was always the sort of, we call it in therapy, the identified patient. You know, whoever is going to get the therapy is the one that the rest of the dysfunctional family points to and goes, thank God, it's you. Something's wrong with you. You go fix that. We're fine. You go fix it. So I was always the identified patient Mm. in my family. And the, the more that I figured out and the more that I saw therapists as a young girl in school and then as an adolescent, it Mapped out this path for me to get into school and to follow psychology and then into my counseling degree. And mm. uh, Katrina happened. I'm from New Orleans in the middle of that. And so I, when I look back, my system was always in complete overdrive from being a highly sensitive person. And my specialties, once I got out of school, were addiction, codependency, grief and loss, mm. uh, and trauma. And what I started connecting very differently than my colleagues was there there are trends with people who resonate with me. They're sensitive. They'll cry at sunsets. um, They they feel through their world. Mm. And what I would see is that when we addressed the sensitivity part and really valued that and validated it and people felt less crazy (laughs) within their own skin because of that, addictive tendencies went down. Because if you're if you're feeling a lot, it makes sense that you're probably going to be drawn to drugs and alcohol just as a bomb. To escape it. Mm. So a lot has kind of shaped me towards figuring out sensitivity. And people, I think, are shocked in this present day of high sensitivity being kind of a buzzword and being kind of a cool thing to be right now, which is really, really awesome. But it also kind of waters some of it down. And professionals didn't get that education. I didn't find high, high sensitivity by going through graduate school to be a psychotherapist, which is crazy bonkers. But it can't be measured. And so when we, when we look at all that you know, scientifically um, based information, that especially through the 90s, like that was the buzzword, evidence-based, evidence-based, evidence-based. And that's important, but it's not everything. So we have to help sensitive people. I've had to go through helping myself realize, wait a minute, there's no evidence that I'm going to gather other than my own evidence of experimenting through my own life. And that seeker spirit that I was born with connects me and grounds me in always learning about myself. So I was learning about myself as I was learning about my clients.
0: Hmm. Isn't that the coolest? Ugh, oh, I feel that way too about so much. It's like, I'm experiencing life and sharing it and oh my God, I'm learning so much as you're kind of like attracting the tribe that you want. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> because the highly that. sensitive people found me. Mm-hmm. Like once I sort of hung my shingle and went into business for myself as a therapist in Houston, I started realizing like all these amazing people who don't really know how amazing they are. Yeah. <laughs> so that is the funnest thing I think about what I do is being able to to very genuinely help people realize what their gifts are
0: because you know? they're not really seen would you say they're not seen as gifts being sensitive i know like you said it's changing it's like the cool thing to be but mm-hmm. it used to not feel that way right it was sensitivity was something that we masked and was that just a byproduct of our society or was that just a byproduct of us not having the right environment to express it
1: i think our education for decades and decades has failed to value emotions as something worthwhile that's why none of us have an emotional education and all of us who went through school took classes where we thought like why do i have to learn this (laughs) this isn't applicable to my life when am i ever going to use this i remember having that fight you know from junior high on up and as i started learning and my for my psychology degree and then my master's degree I was really pissed off. I would get angry with my teachers and my professors because I thought, this is so basic. Like, why am I only getting this education at a master's degree level when this stuff really needs to be in second grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, all the way on up? Why we don't have dating classes and emotional classes starting in high school as a requirement? Yeah. And we look around and we wonder, why are relationships so hard? Why is true speaking so difficult? Why is boundary setting? Why is boundary receiving when someone says no? Why is that so hard? We don't have any muscles for that. We don't have any education for that. So I think what happens is if if I'm having a feeling and I start to cry, the person next to me, no matter what their intention is, no matter what their heart is, they have no script for what to do with my emotions, much less their own. So the thing that I think all of us have grown up with, at least in American culture, is that the second someone starts to emote and cry, good, bad, or otherwise, right? It's, oh, no, stop crying. Don't cry. That person will go into, you know, a dance to, what, do you need a hug? Do you need a tissue? Just whatever. Please stop having emotions. I'm in a gym, right? You you own a gym. Those are muscles. And so physically, we know how important it is to work those muscles. You work those muscles, or you lose those muscles, right? Mm-hmm. So as a society, we really have lost emotional muscles of how to be with ourselves and how to be with each other. Yeah. through right. emotions. So part of what I'm trying to do with my podcast is sort of validate and model for people that their strength and sensitivity because we have a lot of screwy hangups that, oh, if you're emoting, you must be weak. And I'm strong. I'm a powerhouse. I always have been, even in my messiest, even in my most depressed moments, even in my most confused and lost, I'm powerful. And that's a theme. I don't know if you see that with other sensitive people, but we are legitimately, It's mm-hmm. it's not just a catchy name that I came up with for the show. I came up with the name sitting with Childhood sexual abuse survivors who felt really lost and broken in the world. And I started having these intuitive flashes of, wait a minute, this is, this is wrong because this person is unable to sit with themselves and really see, I might hurt, I might feel raw, I might feel totally confused, but I survived something that's really horrible. Like, where's the disconnect between the strength that it takes to be able to turn around and go... This really hard thing that I went through in life, it didn't kill me. In fact, I I slaughtered it. I rised above it. Why? Because I'm still here breathing. Oh, I just had this
0: incredible session. There's a lady that's in Kauai I've done a podcast with who does, you know, tarot cards and spiritual okay. reading. So we had a call the other day. And she was like, You are just holding on to things that were never yours to hold on to since you were mm-hmm. she she was like, I think I the first thing I at the age two is when it's popping up for me. So I'm like, okay, well that sucks. Like, you know, in my head I'm mm-hmm. automatically like, oh, seriously, like more shit to break <laughs> off, right? Right. And so then I and then she was like, "But think of it this way, like you have to think that like you survived whatever it was that you're going through. You were mm-hmm. trying to be that person for your family, you're trying to be that person for those around you." And I thought of it in that way and I just wrote and wrote and wrote pages on this. I was like, "Yes." I, we tend to say, "Okay, we're sensitive. We feel broken. We feel like, oh my God, I have so much shit to go through. Okay. The but world's at, too hard to process. Yes. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you're like, wow, like that, that kid, me, 15, mm-hmm. 20 years ago, just oh, like what a badass that little kid was, mm-hmm. right? not my armor to carry necessarily. Mm -hmm. And I still probably have the repercussions of carrying it in so many Mm -hmm. ways, but just recognizing it and feeling like, wow, I can be proud of that. Even though I know it didn't maybe serve me Mm -hmm. in the best way, I still am pretty badass for doing it. Right. Mm -hmm. And then it helped me release it in a way that I don't think I've ever been able to before.
1: Because you valued it. Mm -hmm. You valued it. And we have a lot of Devaluing ourselves, our process. We want to get away from what's hard very naturally. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's powerful. It's beautiful. Wow.
0: When the, you said the thing about, you know, we see someone crying and we we do need a playbook, which you should create. I think that'd be perfect. <laughs> it's on so my let's list. Get you to the high schools. <laughs> um, I think when I would love and maybe this goes into the boundaries and dysfunctional relationships mm-hmm. program you have like at what point, and maybe there's not one answer to this, but if I am feeling something, how do we, there, you know, there's paths, right? There's probably like saying I am victimizing myself. I'm going Mm -hmm. down that path, which you had a great podcast on Sunday. Or am I able, like, how do I talk to somebody about this without bringing them down with me? Mm -hmm. And that's why I feel like relationships get so hard. Mm -hmm. It's like, this is, it's constant communication. It's constantly one person may be high, one person may be low. Where do you even begin when you are maybe in that state, whether it's a best friend or whether it's a partner, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: how do you dictate your feelings in a healthy way when you just don't even know where to begin?
1: I think that's why it's so important that as a concept, we slow down internally because we can't do it quickly. And and the truth of things, and I fall into this too, because I ha- one of my mantras is things don't happen at the speed of my awesome ideas. <laughs> because <laughs> I have to really check Damn myself. It. Right. <laughs> because I have so many ideas. I have volumes and volumes of books in my head. Yeah. And having to be really realistic with myself about there <laughs> only 24 hours in a day you have to sleep i've been intentionally slowing down with myself over the years as part of my move here but so how do we how do we negotiate that it's i think from the get go we have to slow down and so we have to value slowing down as much as we value speeding up and doing all the things mm-hmm. and if we're really honest as sensitive people that's not just something you can hear me say and go oh yeah all right, I value that as so much now. Thanks, Nikki. Like, <laughs> it, it's understanding that the head knowledge that we're running around with, because I think of Google and technology, it doesn't translate into heart knowledge because the, the body doesn't, and the emotional self, doesn't grasp this stuff as quickly as our thinking computer-like mind. Mm. So when we get this concept in, I'm like, oh, yeah, all right, I get that. My thinking part knows I need to to learn how to value slowing down. Just because we have that thought doesn't mean it sinks up and wow, we're living like that now. We have so much patterning that encourages us to do too much and to undersleep and overwork and all that kind of stuff. So slowing down with ourselves is is really important and to reprioritize what we're doing. In relationships, one of the basic things that I have two divorces under my belt. I'll be 39 this year. That's a, there's so many lessons in that for me. in not knowing early enough in life when we're dating, when we're first starting a partner, that every relationship, every single one, work, personal, is a constant, constant, constant negotiation. Mm. So I think out of the gate, to answer your question, we even carry around this baggage of there's something wrong with me needing to negotiate this much. So from the word go, we're bringing into any conversation this, I'm sorry that I'm having to negotiate this so much. And that shoots us in the foot. Mm. So if when we start our relationships with, hey, this is going to be a constant negotiation, we're we're coming at it with a stronger and safer and more realistic foundation. Because in that negotiation, part of what we negotiate, so it's multi-layered, is I might have to say to you, as a friend, not if you're paying me as a therapist, because I'm, I'm blocking off that time and energy for you, mm-hmm. but as a friend or with my partner, if he doesn't have space for what I need to process that day, what I've negotiated with him is him being able to say, you know what? I don't have space for that right now. And mm-hmm. being able to hear that and accept that And not accept that as a fuck you, not hear that as a, you are rejected and what you are and what you need is too much. Shame on you. So we have to learn not just how to set the boundaries with other people. We have to learn how to set some boundaries with ourselves and then be able to receive boundaries and teach people how to treat us in, hey, we must have boundaries as as anyone, Mm -hmm. but especially as highly sensitive people especially as impacts. And that means we're gonna have limits. That means we can't show up for all the people that we love all the time just because they need us to. And that's part of where I think we we fail, like our children, mm. <laughs> in, in not teaching that from being very, very young. Because what do parents try to do now? Whatever you need, sweetheart, I am here for you 100% all the time. Mm. Babies need that. The older a child gets, I'd really make the argument that Part of parenting is even giving that paradoxical message of, I see that you're upset, honey. I don't have time for you right now. And that, that frightens people, right? It's like a measure of their love for another being. That's what we've so, tied it to. And if we're not teaching children that, that no, a limit cannot mean, screw you, I don't love you or I'm not here for you. So there's a lot of patience in this work too, that we have to cultivate as an individual and within our relationships and allow it, allow the discomfort of that. And because we're also, I think, I don't want to use the word fragile, but I I think we are, we're kind of, for as strong as we are, we have a lot of fragility because we're carrying around our wounds and we're so scared to assert ourselves and we're scared for other people to assert themselves with us. And it's not perfect. Mm You know, so when you read about communication in a book, this is why I wanted to do a show. It's so idealized. Yeah. You know, well, you're going to sit down and you're going to talk about it like this. No, people are going to get angry. Their voices are going to raise. And we need to know kind of those differences between someone being abusive versus someone is very passionate in their feelings. And we're seeing a lot of that online, aren't we? Someone's yeah. passionate. It's like, you're a, you offended me. You have no right to offend me. No, no, no. No you do not have a right to not be offended. You have a right to learn how to sit in that energy and take care of yourself. That's what you have a right to do. You have a right to elicit a boundary. So we have so much wonkiness around all of this. So good. (laughs) This element
0: makes sense. (laughs) It makes so much sense. My mind went so many places. I'm glad I'm writing notes because I just want to talk about
1: all the Mine always does. If I go all over the place, reel me in. Are you an Enneagram 7? I don't know. Oh, gosh. I don't is. know because every time I do a little test like that, yeah, I am kind of all the things. I, I usually don't score like high on one. Mm-hmm. I, I can check. Yeah. I wonder.
0: Mm-hmm. Maybe you're just like a good – you're an anomaly. Mm-hmm. You're a little bit of everything. <laughs> is there a difference between highly sensitive people and
1: empaths? Yes. Okay. Can you explain yes. that for me? <clears throat> I can. And everything is on a spectrum. So – With high sensitivity, it's really every empath is a highly sensitive person. Not every highly sensitive person is an empath. Got it. So in high sensitivity, often that's very sensory. Like people can be sensitive to sounds. Um, I don't really like a lot of wind on my skin. Okay, so I'll have my arms covered sometimes, even if I'm warm. Um, sometimes I'm okay with it if I if like the temperature's right and I'm on a mountain. But if I, I'm kind of cold, I don't want that on my skin. I've noticed it depends on my internal stress levels. Ah, uh,
0: yep. It's all declining. for everything. <laughs> it's like I could handle it so well one day, and then the next day I have like internal internal stress, or I'm thinking about one thing, and my like anything internal just pushed me over the ledge. Mm-hmm. So external, it's like
1: nope. Oh, I can't handle this uh-huh. right now. <laughs> so I think about bandwidth a lot. Mm. And that's what I hear you saying is when I have the bandwidth, when I am good, when I'm operating on all cylinders, when, I'm, when I've am when i cleared out, when mm. I've exercised and have endorphins, mm. I can handle the things. When I don't, that takes my bandwidth. And then I don't have bandwidth for the other things. Mm. And that's something to not fight as a highly sensitive person. It's something to really make peace with and understand. Like, oh... Because there's a lot of disappointment there, right? Oh, I expected to get on the mountain and be able to enjoy the breeze. Oh, I'm disappointed that I'm just not in that space. So a lot of learning how to meet yourself where you are as a sensitive. Mm. Sensitive people are born little observers. So often if I'm talking to someone and in my own story, we can track back and look at family events, um, high school graduations, where there's an element of instead of being in it and present, of really stepping back and having this sort of metacognition, mindful way, very naturally. Mm, That makes sense. What else makes us highly sensitive? We tend to be highly conscientious. Mm. So we are often the people in the world, unless we're in deep chaos and struggle, but we're often the people in the world that we show up early. We really, and we don't like the feeling of being late. Um, Another sensitive thing is sometimes having something on our schedule can feel like a real weight, you know, having to look forward and prepare. And all day long we might hold the space for that 7 p.m. thing that takes takes energy Mm -hmm. to hold space. Um, Sensitive people as a tribe tend to have a lot of natural integrity. Mm. And so we struggle in the world when we are observing How a lot of the world does not seem to have a lot of integrity. Um, We have a an innate sense of fairness. I think that's a big struggle. You know, we all grow up hearing life's not fair, but we don't really know what to do with that, or like Mm -hmm. where to put it, or how to be more peaceful about riding those waves. Yeah, and I think that's the confusion, I guess, for with
0: empaths is like, are you? Is it not fair because you sense the other person's reaction to that, and you Mm -hmm. you care more about that than you do.
1: The big picture,
0: right? In that moment. It's That's like, where codependency sits. Ah, That's where it. codependency sits.
1: Hmm. It's we are we are caring. We are often the healers, the helpers in the world. We're very capable and effective. We also have vision as a tribe, which is part of why. So if I can see it, it borders on the best word I've heard for it is prophecy, like not psychic so much, though some of us may identify that way. But prophecy, we can really see how, all right, if I go left, these dominoes are going to fall. And we think that everyone can do that because we've been that way since we were born. So we can often be very frustrated when other people don't (laughs) see our vision. We're like, it's right there. How can you not see this vision? (laughs) Do you see the card I pulled today? This is, do you ever do Goddess? I do. I have this deck.
0: It's like, just stop stalling, Emily. I pulled a Goddess card for the day, everyone.
1: I got Athena. Yeah, it says suit. you know what to do. Trust your inner wisdom and take appropriate action without delay. The me of it. Yeah, yeah, because you can see that vision laid out. So when we when we care for other people as sensitive people, learning the difference between intuition and anxiety is very very useful and something mm, that that's I coach because that gives us a lot of insight and boundaries work. That's I mean that's part of why I created the course because. Sensitive people, maybe more than the average person, because we sense that someone else is struggling, we will show up for them. Mm -hmm. Now, the danger for us emotionally is when we're showing up kind of consistently for people and then all of a sudden we need help. And what happens there is often no one shows up for us. So there's a lot of loneliness sometimes for sensitives because of this dynamic. Mm -hmm. And what we don't realize and what we can learn how to take ownership of is if I've shown up just to be a help for, helper for everyone else, what I've taught them is Nikki is a helper. Nikki shows up for me. And I haven't really given space to let them step in and help me. So as a tribe, sometimes we don't know how to receive help.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then when we need help and no one shows up for us, we feel very hurt. And that's where some victim mentality can take hold because we start a story of I have shown up for so-and-so or for this tribe in all these ways and here I am needing help and no one showed up for me and it's often not because they don't want to it may be because they're takers and we've shown up to give and that's how puzzle pieces fit together Mm -hmm. so we have to realize that ooh, if we want more reciprocity we need to shape our puzzle piece to fit into other people's puzzle pieces who also want and can, can do yeah. reciprocity. Hmm. Um, am I going off track? I'm this is beautiful.
0: Fun. No, that visual of the puzzles is so important. And I think that's the scariest part for anybody, right? Is like, does shaping the puzzle mean changing the environment completely? Or is it changing you and not losing yourself as you change you? You know, it's that whole process that I think you
1: speak so well about. Well, and the, the scary part for a lot of people, and it's happened to me, I think that's why I'm a good guide for it within life is that if that de- dynamic develops and uh-oh most of the people around me they can't res- re- they can't reciprocate mm. care when i need it cuz i'm a human being that will need it also then what happens when i start to change and assert myself and start to pull people in and go hey um I would like to to have a more balanced relationship with you. You know, I'm feeling a little resentful that I've kind of shown up for you and now I'm ready, I need some help and you're just not there. Mm. That person, if they possess enough empathy and insight, they may say, oh gosh, I didn't realize that and meet you there and then that relationship can grow. Often what happens is that person has a response that's more like, these aren't the words that they say, but the response is more like, um, sorry, no, it's really worked for me that you show up for me and I don't want to show up for you and really like this relationship. Yeah, like this works for me, like taking and taking and taking from your awesome helping energy and insight, that's, that's what I signed up for. So no, I don't want something else. So growth and an awakening is often a scary kind of lonely process for that reason, because when we start to change, we no longer fit that other person's puzzle piece. And so we need some resiliency skills. We need some resiliency muscles. And we need some encouragement that, hey, don't be terrified of that. Have your feelings with it. But know, oh, there's nothing wrong with my puzzle piece. I've just, the shape of it has changed. Thank goodness it no longer fits this other (laughs) dynamic. I can partner with people. I can connect with people who can fit that dynamic. And that's where I really love to step in and help people connect with themselves and be able to find sort of the courage to go through the awakening that they need to, to, to up-level, to change, to grow into the potential. Yeah.
0: That's a great visual to make sure people realize they're not a broken puzzle piece, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, I love that. Do you have, and you mentioned this when we're kind of up in the air and we need to kind of feel grounded and centered, Mm -hmm. what are your own personal tools and then tools that you have with your clients as far as all right, I'm highly sensitive. I feel like in my head, I feel way, I'm a kite and I am gone. Okay. So how to ground? How do I bring
1: myself to this present moment? Let me go into what an empath is and then we'll tie that in. Perfect. So empath, think of empath as sort of like HSP (laughs) 2.0. It's not only do you feel all the things that I went through for sensitive people, but we're also the sponges. So some of us are very conscious of that. Okay, if I'm with someone who's sad, I can soak up that sadness and we know that. But a lot of us don't realize that in our day to day, we're walking around, if we're empathic, I might be at the grocery store and I'm gonna feel really crazy and bonkers if all of a sudden I feel really excited as I'm leaning over to grab some cheese and then all of a sudden I feel sad or I feel lost. So part of what's happening for empaths is we're feeling other people's emotions and we don't know the difference between our own and other people's. So that's a big place where empaths have to really do some deep inner work and centering is a really important piece because you can't do that work without centering. Mm. Okay. There are different types of empaths. There are, I would call myself an, an emotional and a mental empath. There are some people who can really feel animals and what they need. Mm. There are medical empaths who can feel like if someone has a tumor in their body, when they meet someone, they can kind of feel that something's wrong like in their stomach and they'll feel that in their own body. If you go to a traditional therapist and I'm clinically trained in that route and I started seeing people who would show up to me and I'd think, oh my God, thank God they came to me because if you went to the wrong professional And said some of these things out loud, they would go, you're psychotic. Let's get you on some antipsychotics. Mm. So in this country where we over-medicate, that's a big part of why I wanted to do the show. Mm. Because uh, empaths and highly sensitive people need to really pay attention to not allowing their bodies to be over-medicated. I'd say everyone needs to, but particularly sensitive people. Just because they get so disconnected with what makes them who they are? And because doctors psychiatrists mental health professionals just like i was saying earlier they grew up with all the same messaging so as much as we have this expectation that i should be able to be emotional and honest with these professionals those are just credentials mm-hmm. and when you get higher education part of i think what you realize is being almost like the the secret, secret club of people who go through that is anyone can do that going through that does not make you a stellar person with moral fiber and quality mm-hmm. so in medicine In psychiatry, in mental health, that's part of what's happened. Is that we have people with credentials who don't have the integrity and the moral fiber to be doing this work because it's not measurable. So we don't have anything to measure that.
0: Wow. Yeah. Hmm.
1: That's honest. That's good too. I mean, because
0: it's if you've had a bad experience in some way, Mm -hmm. that's which has happened with me.
1: I'm like ugh no (laughs) oh i've had i've had horrible experiences with mental health people (gasps) well before i was a therapist and after Hmm. so that's a big part of of i want people to really if they get anything from me if you have had a shitty experience with a healer please don't let that stop you yeah i think that is you know in aa they say the most important person is the new person in the room like aa as a concept understands that concept because that you're so vulnerable you're so raw if it's your your first try to be with someone. And I, I think of myself as doing intimacy repair very often, whether the hurt was other healers, other coaches who didn't have a lot of integrity because that's out there too. You know, it, it's intimacy repair. How do we do that? Being intimate with ourselves. But we're tribal. So we learn from other people. Yeah. Huh? Wow. So, all right, grounding. You ready for, for grounding? Am right. I babbling too no, much? No, this is perfect. <laughs> okay. You have no idea, Nikki. This is amazing. I'm like, <laughs> sign me up for everything. <laughs> <laughs> this is so good. Okay. Yeah. How, how do you ground? Okay. So first of all, like, grounding is the concept of going from all fluttering in your head, like mm-hmm. Em was sharing. And if you could see me right now, I'm like waving my hands over my head because that's how it feels, right? It feels like a swarming cloud of chaos. And because we're sensitive and we feel everything, and because a lot of us are just wicked smart, that doesn't make any of this easier. Mm. It really doesn't. Because we can think way more things (laughs) about all the things. We're overanalyzing the feelings that we can't really know how to feel. So a lot of my coaching one-on-one with people is about getting them to a place of thinking versus overthinking. Mm. And that's very like backwards to what we want when we pay someone to work with us right they're like no give me the things give me the the syllabus give me all the exercises and i'm like actually i want to challenge you to do a little less Mm -hmm. and it's wild how difficult that is that i can tell someone i could give you a hundred things to do and you'd be so comfortable doing them can you sit with me in this uncomfortableness and so a lot of growth is weird and backwards this way yeah yeah So to ground, coming from this kind of swarmy cloud of chaos above our heads. Height dancing in a hurricane. Yes, (laughs) yes. (laughs) We want to center. Okay. So that's what that means. If you're hearing that and you think, okay, this is a little too hippy-dippy, what does it mean? Centered is you ever met somebody that that just feels like a rock? Maybe it was like a, like a big teddy bear type bouncer that you knew in your early 20s when you were going to the club. that You you were just like, that is a safe, solid, grounded, solid individual. That, mm. Those are the words we use, right? Mm. Solid. So when we feel very floaty, we don't feel solid. And that feels very panicky. So for people who lean into anxiety and panic, that floaty, I'm not grounded to the earth feeling often is the, the start of the dominoes falling towards panic attacks. So being able to ground helps us center so that we can make better decisions. We don't want to make decisions from the swarmy chaos cloud. We want to make decisions from our feet being firm. We want to embody that kind of teddy bear bouncer of just solid. We want to make our decisions from this solid place. and we want our self-care and our self-talk to come from this solid place, not this panicky fluttery, oh no, where Grasp am I going grasping, grasping and grasping. So. Some techniques for that are to just notice. The second that you're like, "Uh uh-oh, this is the cloud. I realize I'm in the cloud, is to take a deep breath and just say to yourself, I'm in the cloud. And these things that sound overly simple, it's just like if I ask you to take one deep, full breath right now. There's not one person alive that's going to tell me that that doesn't feel good. But it's so simple that it becomes something almost like that we throw away. So that that's another thing is is opening up to allowing some of the self-care to be very, very simple. Simple doesn't mean easy, but it just means simple. Well, I think we often are looking for, that's part of being in the cloud, right? It must be this complex solution. And for as complex as we are, we're pretty simple creatures also.
0: Yeah, It's like these predictable goals we talk about, like possible and potential goals. They're things that could be and they're a little more sexy mm-hmm. and they're like end game. Yes, I want that. That's cool. I could I could work for that. Mm-hmm. But then we completely overlook the predictable, which is this not sexy, I'm gonna take a big breath right now and chill the F out. Like it's like, mm-hmm. no, it's too easy. Of course I could do that. I don't want to do that. I am going to not do it intentionally because
1: it's just not much of a challenge for mm-hmm. me. So I think that God, that's huge. Mm-hmm. Part of what helped me figure that out was working in addictions with very mixed populations. So often, and it doesn't sound very PC to to acknowledge it, but it's the truth of things, often there would be like a very highly educated, very rich and powerful lawyer sitting next to someone who um, was missing their teeth from their addiction, had like a sixth grade education. And in watching those two sort of types sit next to each other, I would think, this is crazy that this is easier for me to work with this person who isn't overly educated. Why? Because I can say take a breath and he'll go, "Okay." The other person is like, well, "Why? That's stupid. That can't possibly help me. Are you sure?" And I was like, "Oh my gosh, there is a wisdom in people that don't have a, a traditional sort of education or knowledge based or even IQ the way that we look at as as a high IQ as being better, right? Mm-hmm. I'd argue it often isn't. For as much as it helps us maybe achieve certain things in life, it shoots a lot of us in the foot. Is
0: that because we are constantly surrounded by other options? So if we never have to fully commit, right? We can say like, well, with with privilege there's accessibility to more Yes, things. so much choice, so much choice. It's paralyzing. And and also to the point probably where it's saying, well, I know if this doesn't work, most likely because it didn't work because of me. Mm-hmm. I can just blame it on whatever it was that, quote, didn't work and move to the next thing. Mm-hmm. So we're just moving, 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 moving and not taking that responsibility ourselves because we have the ability to. We have
1: that privilege of being able to have that much choice. Mm-hmm. 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 A good sort of concept that kicks up for me when you say that is that when, when a, as much as I would never, ever, ever want to be in an arranged marriage, when they study arranged marriages, often what comes out of those studies, if you believe the studies, yes. is that there's a higher satisfaction rate because that those people often come from a culture where you don't get every choice mm-hmm. in the world. So the, the commitment is we are gonna make this work. Mm-hmm. And that commitment grows something very different than I have endless options. There's always something better. I can keep looking for something better on top of the societal messages of, hey, it's very smart to continue to look for something better. Don't settle, don't settle, don't settle. So a lot of these very healthy concepts, even a lot of healthy concepts in coaching, sometimes create a lot of neuroses that we don't need. Hmm. So finding the balance. If there's a word that I say over and over and over again, it's balance, that we really need to ground and balance. So when I'm thinking of how do we ground ourselves from the floaty cloud into grounding, first we said take that deep breath. The other thing is to ground in what is, what is. If you think about that cloud, can you see how those are all the possibilities? Often what is is two or three things. What could I actually do with this idea that's making me swarm today? Mm. Oh, I could make one phone call on it. I could gather a little information. That's what is possible for today Mm. instead of the big vision Being so
0: far from that big, big goal. Mm -hmm. That's perfect. For you specifically, I want to, this is so fun for me because I don't get to talk to a lot of empath entrepreneurs Mm -hmm. as much as I want because they exist. And I know a lot of them are listening. Mm -hmm. You decided to start your podcast last year Mm -hmm. and it's just been incredible. And I'm curious, just your own journey with being a highly sensitive person, being an empath. Putting yourself out there—did it take stages in order to get to your, get to the place where you were able to do that <clears> without <throat> censoring, without filtering, without
1: fear? Oh yeah, <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. And it would be a lie to say that I released any episode without a little smidgen of fear, because it's scary to use your voice. So we have to learn as sensitive people how to to feel our fear and not let it control us, and to push through. And that's different than me walking in a dark alley and feeling fear because I hear some footsteps and there's a creeper. So we, we do ourselves a lot of good, I think, when we give ourselves permission to really sit with this dynamic of what is fear? What is it? Why is it there? Why am I feeling it? So that we can understand when we're supposed to react to it and when we're supposed to move through and let it go. I released it last year. There was a good, strong two years of me conceptualizing the podcast. Before that, there was probably three years of me sitting with clients one-on-one, back-to-back. And I have a lot of group work experience in my history. So I was starting to miss um, group work and, and people learning from each other and with each mm-hmm. other, uh, even though I got a lot of that, teaching yoga, having a class. But I, I really felt an intuitive pull to, I need to get my voice out there. I really listened to that intuition. I thought, how am I going to do this? How am I going to do this? Because each cl- client as a therapist who comes in, they don't realize that, wow, I had three people today say the exact same thing. And because of confidentiality, I, there's no space for me as a person, as Nikki the person, to do anything with that. And that kept happening over and over. Over and over again, mm-hmm. weird coincidences, things that I couldn't make sense of. I would ask other therapists. Like uh, sometimes I would get three people in a week, and they would all have like the same first name, I and and so. not like Jennifer, like yes. an odd name. Like, what does this mean? I relate to this so strongly because I
0: did one-on-ones with obviously training, but then nutritional therapy. Okay, and it would be the weirdest like impulse to look up this is just an example that comes to my head, thrush, which is like a candida. Overcome. Oh yeah. I know about that. So I was mm-hmm. like, I want to learn more about that. I don't know enough about it. And then the next day somebody would call me and say, Hey, I think I have this um, weird thing happening on my tongue. I don't know what it is. And I'm like, what? <laughs> oh my God. It's just like, that is mm-hmm. what, I think that's the beauty of empaths that turn into entrepreneurs is that they no longer are doing it, but they never are doing it for the sense mm-hmm. of what sometimes business owners are doing it for, mm-hmm. right? It's like, it's just, it, the pieces fall into place exactly as they should.
1: Yes. A friend of mine gifted me the book Outliers. I don't know if you know that book. You know, I feel like I do, but I- It mean was not. on the bestsellers list for a long time. Uh, it might still be. Is it the white with red, like colors? It's kind of, it's a kind of whitish cover. Yes. yes I yes. have this. Yes. There's a quote in it that really gave me a lot of permission just to, to step more fully into I guess, the fullness of, of who I am because it defined practical intelligence mm. as a kind of intelligence that you can't really explain to someone mm. why you know what you know or how you know it, but you do know it and you are good at it. And I thought, oh my goodness, because until I read that quote, every time I would go to a meeting with all other therapists, I would feel very... Inferior and confused. I don't have a mind that remembers this theorist did this and th- at this age and terrible with names. I am terrible with yep. connecting that sort of factual, like jeopardy knowledge, <laughs> right? I can't come up with that. I can explain I'm it to you. horrible at trivia. I even tried Harry I Potter trivia this week, and
0: I was so bad. I was so disappointed in myself because I'm a Harry Potter fan and I'm like I don't know
1: these things. I am in full acceptance of how awful I am at trivia. So bad. It's so bad. And I'm like, but I, I do I know that I know things, yes. but if you play trivia with me, you'd be like, Nikki must like live in a box somewhere and not expose herself. To I relate anything. to this so strongly. So the same when I would be with therapists and they're, you know, dropping names and theorists and this is this. Uh, I would just think, I don't fit in. What is this? And then I read that quote about practical intelligence. And I was like, oh that's what I can do. Mm. I can really cause sort of download all those details. I, my brain lets go of the details that really don't matter to me because then, I'm not trying to teach those details yes. to anyone and I can help someone figure themselves out. And that, that's a practical mm. intelligence. I think a lot of highly sensitive people, because we're feelers and we can go through the world feeling. So no matter what field we're in, We're picking up so much knowledge from other people, from the way things work, from systems that we don't know how to quantify or qualify, but it's so valid. So, so, so valid. I
0: love it. I got the quote just so we can... um, Practical intelligence is practical in nature. That is, it's now knowledge for its own sake. It's knowledge that helps you read situations correctly and get what you want or need. Mm -hmm. I love that. Okay. So I totally went on a tangent for you. I'm sorry. But so you are... Putting yourself out there in this way, and I love this because I would I would be curious, and this is a hard question. I don't know how to ask this, but I'm going to do my best. Okay. When you are going through stages as em- empaths or highly sensitive people, right, mm-hmm. or person, I think there's always like you have to learn something really hard in order for you to be released to do something really new and mm-hmm. fresh. You see that in your own pattern. I see this with me all the time. Oh, over like, and over again. It's just constant. <laughs> it's this constant evolution of my own life lessons allow for business to open up in ways mm-hmm. that I, and I'm curious if there's one that stands out to you. Oh, there's like 10. <laughs> Perfect. Yes. Okay, good. Yay. <laughs> I don't know. I was, I'm just really drawn to oh, that for it's cause I just see it all the time and I feel crazy. I'm like, Oh my God, I got to go through another rebirth in order to feel this and get what I need. But it's finally understanding mm-hmm. that the things I'm asking for in this universe, the reason they haven't happened yet is because there's so much growth that I Mm -hmm. personally need to do. Mm -hmm. Mm.
1: And so one of my sayings is we don't get to choose the lessons. And I I think that's, that's something that we can never be fully in acceptance of, I don't think, but it's a acceptance is a day in, day out, week to week, moment to moment, sometimes process. But that one has really helped me let go. Because I think really. (laughs) the most powerful thing from my own healing journey is getting to a place that when something, okay, this is, let me backtrack. This is how I'll explain this. I'm an incest survivor and I put my father in prison with three other victims uh, years ago. He was supposed to serve another six years. The, in January of last year, so just over a year ago, I got contacted that he was getting out on good behavior so I am an advocate for survivors. If you have gone through the court system, that is its own hell. And I did it in Louisiana where corruption is special. <laughs> so it was hard. So when that happened, because of the work that I've done, because of understanding and going through it enough times to realize whatever hardship is at my door, it is going to bust open my insight, my awareness, it is going to send me to the next level. So I was angry. I mean hot, mad, angry about this because how dare you let sex offenders out for good behavior when they're in jail? There's no kids there. Like yeah, not okay. And I worked my ass off to get the sentence that he got. And what was promised was no ability to get out early, and then he got out early. Mm. So I had been conceptualizing the podcast and then I had to move again. A landlord was like selling the apartment. So I got this news that he was getting out of prison and I fought. I sort of went to battle with every up to the governor's office that I could in Louisiana to try to keep him in prison. I tried to contact news organizations. No news organization would pick it up. And to the point of me getting like really feisty with people, unapologetically, saying things to people like, that's not okay that it's just your job. Like that's what the Nazis said do better, show up better in your life. Mm. And people just melting, like what? Like no one's, no one's, people are not used to being talked to that way. Mm. And I would go there. And as it unfolded, I kept saying to my lovely, lovely partner and boyfriend, something good is going to come out of this. And I'd say it in anger and I'd say it in tears. And I'd be like, I don't know what it is yet, but damn it, something good is coming from this. And when I couldn't get the news people to pick up the story. And they had picked up the story when he was originally arrested, which blew me out of the water and I was not prepared for at the time. I was much, much younger. And finally someone told me, the news The news media won't pick this up. They don't like reporting on a sex offender getting out because the public doesn't like that. I thought, damn it, this is another level of the news being sick. That it it's not your job to pick and choose what's okay. And with the horror we, you know, promote <laughs> – Not being able to say this for a victim that's asking for help, you know, oh, so it really bothered me. Then I had to move again. And my boyfriend, the producer of the show, it's brilliant, one of the most original podcasters. He's a comedian. Mm -hmm. Um, Chris really looked at me and he said, we are not letting the thing with your dad getting out and this move make us push the show back again. So we released we were packing up boxes and recording the show and releasing it as we were moving frantically i had a new puppy it was a mess mm. and i just kept saying over and over again something good is going to come out of this i'm going to force it to come out of this and we released the show and it kind of took off mm. wow that was it that was it and that and i knew it and i think it's the maybe third or fourth episode where i kind of share and i go well i wasn't going to share this until maybe a year in <laughs> Because I, I want to be an advocate, and part of what I want to show people is that really awful things can happen to you, and you can move through it, and it's not your identity, but it's something that informs you and helps you grow. So when you can open up to whatever bad thing, whatever hardship, whatever thing that just makes you want to pull your fucking hair out and scream is happening, part of wisdom I'm getting older, I think I've got about 10 years on you, is having it happen enough times to where we can start to sit with it and go, I don't know what it's going to be yet, but something good is going to come. That helped me move through it. Years ago, it would have taken me so much longer to get over that. And because of being able to trust that and push through and move forward, I moved through it and the feelings go quickly. And I think because we're scared of really diving in with the hard stuff, sometimes what we do is we accidentally stall out our process so we're actually in the hard stuff for months and years and for some sweet people decades beyond what they need to so i I hope that i'm i'm modeling in the world uh, uh, an ability to look at these things like dead in the face and be able to grow from them and to trust that whatever's busting you wide open you were going to grow some muscles that <laughs> you didn't ever want, <laughs> but that you have. And, and, now that, you, and you can't imagine life without them. You can't. You can't. So, mm. most of the people that I work with who have horrific things in their history, they get to a place if they do long term work with me where they can look at me and say, you know, even if I could change it, I wouldn't go back and change it. And I can say that with total integrity and honesty about all the things in my history, that I would not go back and change it. <sighs> wow. Nikki, this is amazing. I am so <laughs> lucky
0: that you're in Denver, that we got to do this in person. Um, emotionalbadass.com. I know that you have a Patreon that you can have people for even a dollar a month be Mm -hmm. a part of your tribe, which is so cool.
1: It's a really exciting thing. It's it's I mean, podcasting is really truly I think of Mr. Rogers, I think of public broadcasting. (laughs) You know, with with what I just said about the news, you know, we are we're so manipulated by what gets released by media and what doesn't. That that for please support your podcasters, not just my show. (laughs) Go support all your podcasters. That is it's such a pure form. Mm of being able to connect and relate to people. So in that Patreon, we've got some exciting things. We have some exclusive episodes. It acts as a safe container. So I can share kind of sort of some nitty gritty details that maybe not everyone wants to hear on the, the iTunes stream. It's, it's kind of this fun tribe that you mm-hmm. can create where
0: you feel safe to open up in ways that you wouldn't be able to just plugging in a podcast. Yeah. You know, it's a part, parts of you that people want and need to experience, but it's also like, like, show me a little commitment, like a dollar. Yeah. Seriously. And those people are like, I will give you everything. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I love yeah. that. Like, love like it. if 1% of everyone who listens to the show gave something, like, we could have really grown it into... A media company and mm-hmm. my partner has those skills. So we were really excited to be able to hit some goals and create some videos of education that maybe some schools can use yes. that can float around. I would love to make an emo- an a video about, I have it kind of sketched out, um, of being an empath and try to make our tribe make that go viral because the more people that get this information, the earlier that they get it, oh my gosh, life just opens up and it, it it's unacceptable to me. I cannot accept that someone would go to the whole end of their life not being able to figure this out. It's been a joy for me to be able to work with people in their 60s and 70s who grew up with so much different messaging than we did than the generation that's coming up behind us. And part of their their pain is, "Oh my gosh, why didn't I find this out earlier in my life?" You know, that's a hardship that they have to move through and accept and grieve. Mm. And the rest of us We don't have to. We just have to get that information out there. So that is my passion.
0: (laughs) I'm so obsessed with you. This is incredible. My listeners, I hope you love this as much as I did because I feel like I just had the best hour ever. So Aww. this is great. Aww, I'm having so much fun. <laughs> Yay, Thank you. We, we got to do this again. Deal. Thank you again, Deal. Um Everyone go down, uh, subscribe to, on all podcast channels, Emotional Badass, but also just emotionalbadass.com and you can learn more about her programs, your boundaries and dysfunctional relationships program.
1: Yes. Yes. I want to
0: make sure we announce that. Yes. So
1: I am running this once a year. And last year was really, really informative. And so I've made a little bit of changes. I'm going to teach in it for six weeks instead of four weeks to be able to comment and answer questions and be really personable. So if you're interested in boundaries work for yourself, for your own inner talk, your own inner guide, for learning more of the difference between intuition and anxiety, and to have some scripts for how to do some of this emotional work within yourself and within all of your relationships, and step more fully into being your own advocate. Come sign on for that course. Awesome! It'll start in October. Woohoo! Yay! Thank you again, Mickey. This has been such a pleasure. Oh, thanks, Em. I'm so glad you have reached out and we connected and got to see each other live in person. It's great. I love it. <laughs>